Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders. Really want to thank you for tuning in again, and I invite you to go to outcomesrocket.com slash reviews. Leave us a rating and review through Apple Podcasts. This gives us the information that we need to get this show to be amazing for you so that you could go back and improve outcomes with what you do. So without further ado, I have an amazing guest for you today. His name is Dr. Michael Fratkin. He's a director and founder at Resolution Care. They've done an amazing job. It's really been just an opportunity for them to follow their mission to bring capable and compassionate care to everyone everywhere. They use innovative technology, payment models, and strength of the community to help their patients, but more importantly, the people that they help go through the end stages of life. I want to open up the microphone to Michael so he could open up that introduction with anything that I may have missed. Welcome to the podcast, uh, Dr. Franken. Thank you so much. Please call me Michael as you started to. And I think you, you gave me like four amazings in that introduction, so I'm not sure I have anything to add. <laughs> go with all those amazings. Now, the, the work that we do is amazing. The people that are gathered together that do all the work are amazing. The people we care for are amazing. So I, I see your four amazings and add four more. <laughs> I love it. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate you, Michael, is just your, you're a very present individual. And uh, it's something that is valuable in today's day in health care. Uh, a lot of times they leave the care out of health care. And I think you do a really amazing job of that. So let me ask you, what got you into this sector to begin with? Oh, man. Well, I am, I'll, get, I'll out myself. I'm 55 years old. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a brother. I'm a son. I got great friends. I hope to be a great friend if that's what they say at the end of my life. That, that Michael, he was a great friend. That would be pretty good finish for my life. I started my sort of exploration around serious illness and end of life when I was just early in college and a friend of mine who was gay and I started talking about all the young men that were dying of HIV. And he didn't know that I knew that he was gay, but that's a sort of an aside. But I was worried about it because I was watching all these stories about these young, beautiful men coming out into the world, having their life unfold and experience, and then to be greeted with a mysterious and horrible disease like HIV infection. And I wondered what it was like to be a young man that was dying. And so uh, my buddy and I, we both became volunteers at a hospice program in South Florida, and we got a look at a few experiences of how these young men made their way to complete their lives. And it wasn't what I thought. It wasn't just a horror story. It wasn't just terrible. It was terrible, full of grief and discomfort and trouble and fear and all the rest of it. But it was also something pretty extraordinary and how resourceful and resilient and mysterious human beings are. And so that definitely planted a seed for me. Um, it was a long time before I decided I was going to go into healthcare at all. 
But once I did, I started an emergency room. I was an emergency room tech. But I got more and more interested in thinking about myself not just as a or not as a paramedic or a nurse, but I got sort of encouraged by a couple of important physicians to keep on going, and I'll I'll never forgive them. <laughs> but yeah, no, and and then I, I I you know just like everybody else, did all of the prerequisite stuff and ended up at the University of Utah where I did medical school and again was sort of greeted by the HIV epidemic during medical school and uh, worked as HIV medicine was turning from pure hospice care to something else again. So that change where there was a whole bunch of therapeutics that were then being applied. Uh, So when I came out, I became an HIV doctor, an internist, and the rest is kind of history. That's so interesting and definitely sounds like you were awestruck by by everything that was happening and history of, of, of that human experience and also the surprise of what you saw these these young men going through. And it's evolved and, and it's it's been created into what you've got here now and the thing that you guys are doing with your organization. What would you say, Michael, a hot topic that every leader in healthcare should be focused on today and how are you all focused on it? Economics, economics, economics. It's so easy to be distracted by policy and politics, but ultimately human beings behave in a fairly predictable fashion. They follow incentives, and the incentives should and ought to be improved quality of life and living for people with illness, better satisfaction, and reduction in the horrendous, wasteful, and excessive suffering that comes with excessive utilization of cost. So the triple aim is critically important and an area of particular focus for me. But in my work, because my work emerged out of my personal burnout as an under-resourced physician in a crazy healthcare system, this idea of a quadruple aim, this idea that those people over there in the bed that are in discomfort or pain or moaning are of no more or no less importance than those of us that have dedicated our, our work life to serving them. We matter as much. We are people. They are people. We need to build new kinds of healthcare structures that tend to the well-being of both of those critical stakeholders as well as all the rest. But those are the two stakeholders that have been moved from the center with the industrial design of our systems of healthcare over the 20th century and now into the 21st. That's where I would keep the focus, is on the people actually receiving and providing the care. So, Michael, I, I think this is such a great call out and we've had previous guests talk about, you know, that the quadruple aim and, and making sure that we take care of our physicians. And I think it's such a great point What's the best way to get there? I mean, from your standpoint, what do leaders, provider leaders, need to be focused on to make this happen? Well, we had to bake it into the DNA of the organization. I mean, the amount of pressure there is to think about people as they populate spreadsheets rather than as they populate the real world is enormous. And so what we as an organization have done is engaged with uh, certification as a B Corporation. So for those that don't know anything about that, B Corps 
are organizations that have committed to a rigorous assessment of all of their practices and evaluation that measures and assesses all of their practices as an organization with all of their stakeholders. So including their workforce, the people they care for, the communities they're a part of, the environment that they're a part of. Companies that are willing to commit at the very core of their structuring to dedicate themselves to the well-being of all those stakeholders and to do good with their business are businesses that actually outperform the norm in terms of financial performance. And so by engaging with B-Lab and becoming a B, a B Corp certified, it puts us in the same category of companies that have an identity that they want clear. So Patagonia, Ben & Jerry's, Method Soaps, New Belgium Brewery, there's quite a few companies that are willing to say out front, not only do they make a good product or provide an incredible service, but they take beautiful care of each other and themselves and the communities that they're a part of, as well as the planet. I think that's really great and a distinction between what you and your team are doing and I guess the majority of companies in healthcare and outside of healthcare. One of the things that really got my attention, Michael, was, was a quote from your, one of your, uh, your sites. It says, we're an inspired team of palliative care professionals who understands that people are more than their bodies, more than their diseases, and more than merely patients. Walk us down that in the context of what resolution care your team there is doing to improve outcomes. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I introduced myself as a dad and a husband and a brother and a good friend for good reason, because that's where I live. I happen to have a skill set as a physician, and now I'm currently functioning in the development of an enterprise. But who I am as a person is really at the core of how I make my way through life. And it turns out, it might surprise you, that that's exactly how everybody's doing it. They're doing it from the center of where they identify themselves. And so people who are sick do not identify with their illness unless that's sort of thrust upon them. People who are sick get who they are, but they're stuck in a system where, for example, a person, let's say, with metastatic cancer who's undergoing cancer-directed treatment may in the last six months of their life have 150 visits for doctor's appointments, x-rays, labs, 150 times, leaving their home, getting themselves together, having their daughter take off half a day of work to drive them to the doctor's office, to walk into the door, to sit down in a crappy waiting room with 10-year-old people magazines and a bunch of sick people in it, to be sitting there and have another clipboard, that same clipboard shoved in your face for the 150th time while you're noticing and asking yourself in a sort of distressed existential state, is that person next to me? sicker than me? Am I sicker than them? Did that person cough something horrible in my direction? And to sit there so afraid 150 times in your last six months of your life, right? Those people begin to see themselves as a patient and they are processed through a system that gets them into an exam room where a doctor sits down in the room and then turns their shoulder so that they can tap away at the computer keyboard and gather all the data that isn't necessarily there to serve that person, but is there to serve the box-checking, algorithmic, protocol-based guidelines that everybody's breathing down that provider's neck 
about, mm-hmm. and then you reverse the direction and get them home. Resolution care is a people-powered, technology-enabled palliative care service that takes care of people, not patients, in their homes, not in clinics. And so when we engage with a person, we send them, after we've gotten them trained, we send them an email with a hyperlink and they click on it and poof. Their healthcare team, the doctor, the nurse, the social worker, the chaplain, the community health worker, whoever, is right there with them, perfectly framed, not invading their house with a home visit, but right there with them to find out how we can be of service, whether it's to improve their symptoms, whether it's to help them understand their situation and the choices in front of them, whether it's to prepare with advanced care planning discussions and documentation, whether it's to coordinate family visits so that the other members of their family can all be put on the same page about what they're facing. We do that without having to drag people out of their homes and make patients out of them. I think that's really interesting. You've got a really interesting and very interesting is not the word human way of of taking care of this. You've obviously given the topic a lot of thought. You do something over and over again. It becomes part of your identity. And so how to deconstruct this system in such a way that helps treat people as people. And I think you guys have done a really beautiful job of that where you're at. What would you say an example of of how this has helped families recently? Well, I could say that on Tuesday of last week in caring for a guy, a youngish man with a long history of addiction and a very serious head and neck cancer who was estranged from his family. We connected him and four members of his family in four different locations in the U.S. to talk it through. And he hadn't seen their faces for over eight years. We walked it through and we talked it through and we let them know that uh, his addiction um, was a big part of what was challenging his cancer care and how he really needed to be supported by his family. And so within three days, his sister flew out and is now providing caregiving. She's provided the structure that will get him out of the hospital and then will complete his cancer care program, his cancer treatment, acute cancer treatment. And then as he recovers from that, we expect to help him relocate and resettle into his family back east. Without the technology, there is no family meeting. Totally. There is no talking through the complexities and, and issues facing an addict trying to find his way back to his family when he needs it. And so using this video conferencing technology, uh, we were able to do something really simple. And it wasn't how great is the technology. I don't even know how it works. All I know is that I can set it up and have human conversations with human beings uh, seamlessly. Yeah, I think that's really important. And this is such a wonderful story. Super happy to hear that this gentleman was able to reunite with his family and now on a road of recovery. Whereas before, hey, you know, what what could have happened to him? You know, I, I think it's likely. Well, I, can say, I can say without our support all the way along over this last month, he couldn't have completed his cancer-directed treatment because he was too socially and behaviorally burdened by his homelessness and ongoing drug abuse. It took our advocacy and our holding his hand to get him the benefit of what could well be curative cancer treatment. So it could translate just by 
working with all those social determinants of health, getting him from place to place, getting him fed, getting him housed, that all of those things could translate into 20, 30, 40 years of life and with a little luck, maybe even sobriety for those periods of time. No, I think that's wonderful. I think that's so interesting. And uh, tell me something, Michael. So you've had some success in this area. Give us an example of maybe a shortcoming or, or a setback that happened and what you learned from it in order to make it even better. Yeah, let's see. Oh, that's a good question, isn't it? As I pause to reflect, it's always hard to ask an entrepreneur who's so used to saying how great they are, <laughs> like what hasn't worked, what's been difficult. I think what I would say is that um, it's really, really hard to construct from the raw materials of the status quo something actually very fresh and new. It's very hard to take nothing and make it into something and expect that along the way there are these inflection points, these evolutionary moments where everything you thought you knew turns gets turned upside down. And so in those moments, I freaked out a little bit and then a little time goes by and I realized, wow, that was exactly what was necessary. For any of the listeners that are parents, they'll understand exactly that when you get to a certain place and you're like, oh my God, this is so crazy. I can't go another step. <laughs> and then you do, you learn something about the process of creation, something new. So for me, I made a lot of mistakes, I think, with being so emotional and reactive when really what was happening was the normal evolution of a growing and developing new breed of organization. I think that's a great call out. And listeners, I think this is a good message as you move forward in, in your endeavors to, to provide healthcare, to improve outcomes. Whenever something happens that you're not expecting, just think this is part of the process. Accept it. And what comes from here will actually be something that's happening for you, not to you. And then it becomes an opportunity that helps you be stronger. And, and you know, I take this message very, very uh, to heart, Michael, and uh, appreciate you sharing it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think it actually it doesn't take too much imagination to bring it out of the startup enterprise environment and to ask yourself, how have you made your way through life in a series of rising and then collapsing and rising and collapsing and being so caught up in the pain and grief of difficulty that you almost can't remember what it was to feel otherwise, but then you keep putting your feet in front of you, you keep taking steps forward and you keep learning and all of a sudden you realize that without that conflict, there is no tomorrow. <laughs> you yeah. can't get to that that future that you've been working so hard to get to. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I think it's a, a really powerful message. And the other thing that it reinforces is the thought, and it, and it really jives really well into what you're doing, is that the power of now. I was uh, kind of a similar story, but a little bit different. When I was in college, I went to volunteer at a hospice. And it was around the holidays and we were putting together holiday cards. And so I'm sitting there and I'm about to work on my first one, Michael. And I'm like, what do I write? Like, I'm so used to writing, hey, you know, have a wonderful year. I hope next year is awesome. And <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I'm in this place where all of a sudden I'm forced to be in the now. And we spend so much time yesterday or tomorrow and I just zoomed in and then I, I sort of gained an appreciation for the power of now. I said, hey, you know, and I remember my first letter that I wrote 
was enjoy today. It's a beautiful day. It might be sunny. It might be windy, but everything is there for you. And it's just a note that I've never forgotten. And it's just kind of, you, you polished it off with some of your thoughts right now. So thank you for that. And yeah, listeners, so be present, be in the moment and make it work for you. Exactly. And this is, the resolution care is simply a manifestation of that kind of thinking integrated into a complicated and crazy healthcare system, healthcare financing system, taking advantage of the economics of incenting the outcomes that we wish to get to rather than fee-for-service structure, which has constrained our ability to grow and better manage the well-being of our society mates. So by leveraging value-based payment and structuring our relationship to health plans, not in an antagonistic fashion, but actually in alignment around that quadruple aim, Mm -hmm. well, now... We're paddling in the same direction and we're able to do what makes sense for the very individual people that we're caring for as things go forward. It's not about algorithms. It's not about protocols. It's about being responsive and letting the people we care for define what success looks like for them. And then it turns out their quality goes up, their satisfaction goes up, and lo and behold, we give them an alternative to go into the emergency room in the hospital and their costs go down. Mm-hmm. everybody's happy and it ain't rocket science. <laughs> I love it. No, it's great. It's so wonderful. Um, so we've got some really cool ideas cranking here, Michael. Let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what yeah. it takes to be successful today. It's the 101 or the ABCs of Dr. Michael Fratkin. And so <laughs> we're going to write a syllabus right now for the listeners. All right, we're ready to go. Four questions, lightning round, and then finish up with a book. You ready? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Is focus on aligning yourselves with the people you care for and the people doing the care. Centering your care around the human stakeholders that need to be right front and center. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Getting sucked into the status quo, compromising too greatly for expediency so that what seemed like a good idea to create something new turns out to be just another iteration of what's broken. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? We talk to the people we care for, they blow us away. We're so immersed in the mystery of the human experience and the care that we provide to people that there's no way to get bored. There's no way to lose that sense of awe. What's one area of focus that should drive everything else in your organization? Love. Powerful. I love that. What book would you recommend to the listeners, Michael? I, think it's, I, I heard Michael Lewis talking on the radio today, and I think it's The Undoing Project. And there's two reasons. So The Undoing Project is a story of Tversky and Hahnemann as they sort of redefined social economics or the the economic theories around how we choose. And there's two reasons. One is that I always love that bumper sticker that says, don't believe everything you think. And that their work is entirely about that, how we delude ourselves into thinking we understand what we see and how we work. So I, I love that part. The other is, it's the story of the human relationships that led to a, a Nobel Prize. Two quirky Israeli scientists, very different personalities, and 
the story of their relationship, their professional relationship, and the interactions that they had with themselves and the world around them. I'm a relationship guy, so I, I, I thought that was beautiful and brilliant. So the Undoing Project, Michael Lewis. Love it. Some really great shares there. And, and listeners, don't worry if you don't have a pen or if you're out for a jog or driving. Just go to outcomesrocket.com slash Fratkin. That's F-R-A-T-K-I-N as in Nancy Fratkin. Outcomes oh, yeah. Don't forget the www.resolutioncare.com as well. No, absolutely. And so, <laughs> don't forget that. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael, but, you know, in these show notes, when you go to, to that site that I just, <laughs> you'll be able to find links to yeah. Michael's company. You'll be able to find a link to his LinkedIn profile, answers to the syllabus, as well as a link to the book. So everything you'll be able to find right there. But Beautiful. for the sake of reiteration and, and clarity, Michael's website is Resolution Care, just as it sounds. Resolution, no space, care. Dot com, Pretty cool place where you'll be able to learn a little bit more about what he does. Michael, thank you so much for this. Before we conclude, I just want to ask you for a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners can get a hold of you. Don't sell yourself short to think that you've got a job or that you are your job or that you're a patient or that you're a doctor or that you're an entrepreneur Show up to your life free of all of those labels. Bring your best stuff forward. Be a part of collaboration with other people. But don't get fooled into thinking that the role you have is who you are. You know who you are. And if you don't know who you are, your wife or your husband can probably help you figure that out. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I can be reached anyway. Um, uh, www.resolutioncare.com. Michael at resolutioncare.com on Twitter at Michael D. Fratkin. And I don't know if you send some smoke signals, I might just see him. Love it, Michael. Listen, really want to thank you for taking the time today. It's been a really big pleasure. I've dove through some really great things and uh, just want to say thank you very much. Thank you so much, Saul. It really has been fun. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.